Alrighty. G'day guys, how's it going? Long time no chat, at least for me. I have had a lot on my plate recently. I have been flat out like a lizard drinking with my family. We have finally bought a house and obviously moved into that house as well over the last month. And I'm going to try and sit down with my wife, hopefully tonight, and do some episodes about house hunting and then purchasing the house and sort of everything it entails. I'll probably tell you all about um, the financial stuff behind it too, because I want to share as much of this sort of information for you guys as possible so that you can learn about it and make your own decisions. And, you know, hopefully it helps you if you're looking to buy a house in Australia. But I'll keep you guys posted about that. But yeah, I just wanted to apologize, I guess, first and foremost, because I ha- haven't been as organized as I wish I had been with expression episodes and everything already recorded and sort of in the barrel, right? Ready to go, ready to be fired out of the proverbial shotgun into podcast space for you to listen to prior to me moving. So, yeah, for the last two weeks, you've had Goss episodes, but I hope you've been enjoying those. So, today is a little Pete's Two Cents episode. Get a drink. I'm going to open mine. Um, yeah, this <laughs> this episode is not sponsored by any drink, but hopefully you guys get yourself a nice cold beverage. I've got myself a caffeinated beverage in front of me. And yeah, sit down and relax and, and chill out. Okay, Um. Well, before we get into it too, just remember guys that these episodes don't have transcripts. The reason being, they tend to be very long and I try and get them up on the podcast as soon as possible. These are the only episodes out of the nearly 1,200 episodes on the podcast so far that don't have transcripts. Every other single episode has a transcript and you can get access to them if you sign up to the premium podcast membership at aussieenglish.com.au forward slash podcast. So, let's get into the question. So, this one comes from Life in Melbourne. And uh, yeah, I haven't done... I haven't done any of these Q&As in the last two weeks, so forgive me again for that as, again, yeah, been busy moving house. It's been, it's been quite a lot of work. Okay, so the question is, how can I become more aware of local content and topics to make social connections? So, this is something that I often suggest people do, obviously, is that if you want to become, if you want to make friends, right, you want to become with friends in a given country, in this case, obviously, Australia, A big part of developing those connections is having things in common, whether that's hobbies, interests, or opinions about certain topics, knowledge of certain topics and opinions about them. Now, you're obviously specifically asking about local content, so that's kind of broad, I guess, right? It's anything about the local people or the local environment, everything like that. I think a big thing for you to do is, and I suggest all of you guys learning Australian English do this, open up ABC Australia on YouTube, ABC News Australia on YouTube, and they have a 24-hour a day, seven days a week broadcast that you can watch. So, I would suggest that you do this on a regular basis, hopefully every single day, you know, build it into your routine. If you say, get up every morning and have a coffee for 10 or 15 minutes in the morning before you do anything else like me, a good exercise for you to do, not just for your listening comprehension, you know, and your English vocab and everything like that, the English language side of it, not just for that, but more importantly, so that you learn about things that are going on 
in Australia, in the local area, right? In the local country that you're in, that you're fascinated with or that you, you know, want to learn more about. So, if you get up every morning and, you know, put in, say, I don't know, 15 minutes every single morning watching the news, not only are you going to get, you know, an hour or more, more than that, right? Like, maybe an hour and a half of listening comprehension exercise every single week, just added on top of your already busy routine, but you're going to be learning about local issues, right? You're going to be hearing about news stories. You know, at the moment in Australia, we're suffering from a lot of floods. Uh, there'll be things in the news about certain crimes that are happening, people winning the lottery, um, you know, stories about dogs, all this sort of interesting stuff that Australia is currently concerned with pops up in the news. So, that's a great place to start, right? And then, obviously, if you are passionate about these topics, say, you know, you're passionate about climate change and you want to learn about the floods in Australia, why is that happening? It's the La Nina at the moment that's causing all the rain and that's leading to all these floods and we've had a really (laughs) shitty kind of history of building suburbs in areas that are floodplains. Um, So, these houses are very prone to getting flooded as a result. And you can learn more and more and more about this so that when you chat with Australians, you know, perhaps you meet an Australian from one of these flood areas, you have information, knowledge that you can sort of pull on from watching the news or looking up documentaries or whatever else about those topics that you can use to strike up a conversation with the locals. Excuse me if I cough a little bit. I've um, had a cold recently and I'm still recovering from it. So, that's a good thing, I guess, to do, you know, try and watch the news on a regular basis to just hear about what's going on. And then when you come across interesting stories, go down those rabbit holes, learn more about them, you know, anytime it's something you're passionate about and you find interesting, if it were me, it's the kind of thing that I would really dive into and try and learn more about, develop an opinion about these things. And then when you chat to people, you can have a conversation with them. Perhaps you agree with them. Perhaps you disagree with them, you know, obviously try and be nice about it if you do disagree with them. But nonetheless, it's the first step to developing relationships and social connections. You have commonality, right? You've got things in common that you can talk about. And then beyond that, obviously, it's getting involved with your local community, right? So, starting up, I don't know, a hobby, going to the gym or, you know, doing karate lessons or starting a musical instrument, you know, learning learning how to play the guitar or something, going to places where groups of people get together on a regular basis is really the perfect environment for you to meet and make new friends, right? And it's the same for English learners and non-English learners. I have to tell myself this. At the moment, for me, I'm finding it really hard to make new friends, whether they're Australian or not. Because I work from home and I've got a young family and so I'm always really busy with them. And so, a lot of the people I have to try and meet are actually other people with kids who end up, say, going to the same swimming lessons that I'm always going to with my kids. So, we find ourselves in that area all the time. We have things in common, like we have children together. You know, we both have children. We both have young families. Um, and there's there's issues that we can talk about. Perhaps, you know, like I recently bought a house. So, many people my age are in that kind of a position where they're wanting to save for a house or they've just bought one. They're feeling the stress of it all. So, they might be passionate about that topic as well as their family and their children. And and it sort of gives you people that you're seeing on a frequent basis. Um, and it gives you topics in common that you can use to talk about with them to hopefully then strike up a friendship. But it's not easy. I'll tell you what, there's a good example. We... 
<laughs> Kel and I, this is the swimming lesson example. Kel and I went to, well, we've been going to these swimming lessons for a few years now, but we met a family there that had kids probably about three or four months younger than each of our kids. So, they had a daughter that was younger than my daughter by a few months and a son that was younger than my son by a few months. They were about our age. They were living nearby. And initially, we struck up a conversation. You know, I think it was me initially. I saw this woman had a very young daughter and was just like, we were both sitting there watching our kids have swimming lessons. And I just started the conversation, you know, saying, how are you surviving? You know, how are you going with such a young child? Are you doing okay? Are uh, you getting enough sleep? You know, what are you, what's currently stressing you out? Are you having a good time? Are you having a bad time? So, I just struck up a conversation with this woman. And then I ended up just saying after, you know, we were chatting for like half an hour, um, do you want to catch up sometime? You know, we've got kids the same age. Perhaps we can go to the beach and just catch up and I don't know, socialize. And she was like, yeah, no worries. Give me your number. Anyway, so we caught up a few times. I think we caught up once or twice um, with this family. And then they ghosted us. (laughs) So, there was obviously something about Kel and I and our family that they just didn't connect with, that they didn't really like. And so, we had to sort of deal with that rejection where I kept sending them messages and asking, hey guys, what are you up to this weekend? Did you guys want to go to the park and get a coffee or something? And two or three times in a row, they gave us kind of pretty, I don't know, what would you say, kind of weak excuses as to not be able to go, right? Like, oh, our mum's coming over today or, oh, you know, so-and-so, one of our kids is is feeling a bit under the weather. And then we just never heard from them again. And so, sometimes that that happens, right? This is just how things are. There, There was obviously something about my personality or about Kel's personality that either of these guys or both of these guys, these parents, didn't particular particularly jive with, they didn't enjoy, they didn't think, oh, these people are great people, we'll, you know, really get along with them. And so, they just kind of cut ties and bowed out. It just got a little awkward because a while back we saw them at swimming lessons again and I was just like, oh, g'day guys, how are you going? How are your kids? Blah, blah, blah. And it was one of those awkward situations where they were so friendly and nice when we caught up that it left me kind of thinking, oh, maybe they've just been really busy. Uh, maybe they, you know, for whatever reason, something came up and we just sort of lost contact. Anyway, I shot um, the woman a message again and was just like, it was great seeing you, you know, I hope your kids are doing well. Um, did you want to catch up sometime? And she was just like replied, yeah, good to see you too. <laughs> and that was it. And so, yeah, for me, at least that's like writing on the wall now. Okay, got it. Message received. I understand. I will not ask anymore and I am sorry for wasting your time, you know. All right, next. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's the same for me as well. I feel your pain, mate. You just have to keep trying, just keep interacting with other people, finding excuses to do things where there are other people around and eventually, hopefully, you will find your people. It's kind of like dating, right? It's kind of like finding your, you know, partner, your soulmate, whoever that is, and you really get along with that person. I remember when I was dating, I don't know, I guess out of high school all the way up until I was about 30 when I met my wife, it was just you know, a nightmare of always trying to find the right person and you'd have to sort of try different people on, right? You know, like, and I I don't mean that in a negative way, but you had to sort of get to know people to really work out whether or not you guys were a good fit for one another. And that stress of always thinking, fuck, am I going to find the right person eventually? Is this ever going to happen? Or am I just going to be forever doomed to be cycling through 
um, different people, you know, and, and never actually finding the right person. And then finally, you know, I found my wife and I'm sure many of you guys have found your respective partners. But I think it's sort of the same with friends where, especially at this age, you kind of have to keep trying on different people, different groups and be kind of comfortable not necessarily having loads and loads and loads of friends, focusing more on quality over quantity, you know? So, anyway, that's my two cents there. Um, What have we got here? Okay. Why is it rock by a bear and not rock a bear? Kids rhyme. Rock by a bear and not rock a bear? I don't think I've heard of this one. Let me see. Rock by a bear. Kids rhyme. I have to look this up. Rock a by your bear. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so, you're talking about the Wiggles song, Rock a by your bear. So, <laughs> Rockabye is from, what would it be? I think it's a kid's, it's a kid's lullaby. Rockabye baby in the treetops. Something like that, right? I remember this from when I was a little kid. Let's see if I can find the, um, the lyrics. But it effectively means like, and I think it's only used in this concept, in this sort of context rather. It's where you are rocking a child in your arms to go to sleep. So, I don't know why it's rock-a-bye. But the lullaby lyrics are rock-a-bye baby in the treetop. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the bough breaks, like the branch, the cradle will fall. And down will come baby, cradle and all. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a fucked up... It's kind of a fucked up rhyme, right? Um, but effectively, yeah, it's it's like the rockabye baby in the treetop. So, the tr- the baby is in some kind of, I don't know, cradle or something. And it's rocking in the wind in the tree. And hopefully, that gets the baby to sleep. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock, right? So, it's moving back and forth. When the bough breaks, the cradle will fall. So, when the branch snaps in the wind, the cradle is going to fall down. Down will come baby, cradle and all. So, everything will come down. The baby, the cradle and everything. So, yeah, that's... Um, it's a lullaby that I heard when I was a kid. It's a very, very common one. But it, I think it's the only it's the only um, context where you would use rockabye, right? And I'll see if I can look up the origin of this phrase. Rockabye baby has long been a favorite nursery rhyme and lullaby. The first printed version of these lyrics comes from Mother Goose's Melody in London, 1765. Wow. So, it's like 200 and... 50 years old, 260 years old, but I don't know what rock-a-bye, maybe it's like rock until you go away, rock-a-bye, rock-a-bye baby, rock-a-bye baby, oh, yeah, I'll have to look it up, but yeah, it's it's only used in this context, and obviously the Wiggles, the kids group that sing uh, songs that are Australian have rock-a-bye your bear, so I guess they're talking about rocking your teddy bear until it goes to sleep, rock-a-bye bear. Okay. Um, what are we looking at here? Uh, Pete, what do you call the bottom floor in an apartment? Ground floor or first floor? Okay, so in Australia, I would call this a ground floor. The first floor is the next floor up, <laughs> ironically, right? But that's how we think about it in Australia. So, in any kind of building that has many stories to it, the bottom floor, the one right at the bottom is the ground floor because it's at the level of the ground, right? And the first floor is the first floor above the ground floor. I'm not sure if it's the same in America or if America is the one where it differs and they have like the lobby is at the first floor and then the second floor is the 
is what we would call the first floor. But yeah, and then we would have, I guess, below ground, which, yeah, what would you call that? I've forgotten. Having a bit of a brain fart. But there's a, there's usually some versions and it's probably not um, consistent all over the place. But when you've got like a car park or something below ground, it might be like underground or below ground that you see if you get into a lift. But yeah, I would call it um, the bottom floor or ground floor. Um, okay. <laughs> Guillaume asks, when will you make another vlog? So, oh man, I need to just find time to be able to do more of this. I really want to do more in the YouTube space. I really want to do more in the Aussie English Academy space. We're currently working on a, a new course that we're going to hopefully release this November. There's lots that we're working on, but this year's been pretty hard, guys, to be honest. Like, for me, it's been a bit difficult mental health-wise. Like, I've been stressed out a lot and just getting sick. I think you guys have probably heard, right? If you've been listening to the podcast frequently enough, you probably heard me complaining about every illness under the sun that I was catching from my kids that uh, that got it from daycare and would bring it home. I had gastro again the other day. So, yeah, I just don't get it. It's just It's just been insane. I think it's probably because... We've had COVID and we had all those lockdowns and everyone was kind of like hidden away from all these different colds and viruses and diseases that they would have otherwise had exposure to. And so, I think this winter's probably been particularly bad for a lot of people. Um, Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I will try and do another vlog in the future or more vlogs. I just have to kind of get my mojo back. Um, burr, 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 burr. what does chock-a-block mean? Good question. So, this one comes from Joe. What is chock-a-block? Chock-a-block means incredibly full. So, chock-a-block full of something, it's chock-a-block. So, for instance, if I went to a concert, I was going to see a band, the mosh pit might be chock-a-block full of fans, right, that are in there dancing and listening to the music. They are chock-a-block or the, the place is chock-a-block. Another one might be perhaps you buy a box of chocolates, right? And you open it up and there are so many chocolates inside the box. It is chock-a-block. It's chock-a-block full of chocolates. Um, Next question. Okay. Do you have online speaking classes? So, yes, they're inside the academy. So, the academy is my online learning platform for anyone interested in Australian Australian English and we have classes that you can attend every single week. They're not one-on-one classes, they're group classes, but there are usually six or seven students in each class and you can attend all of them currently. So, I think that's like five to six classes every single week. Uh, If you want to learn more about that, go to aussieenglish.com.au forward slash academy. Okay, this one comes from Carla. She asks, have you studied any career at the university? So, we would say at university. If you were to say the university, it would usually be the and then the name of the university, right? Like the Melbourne University or, well, the University of Melbourne, we would call it. Um, Have you studied? So, yeah, I've done three degrees actually. (laughs) Uh, Haven't used any of them, but I did my bachelor's degree in zoology and ecology. So, animals and um, their interactions with the environment. Uh, And then I did a master's degree in phylogeography and landscape genetics. So, effectively, again, biology. But I was looking at 
I was looking at the Australian lace monitor, so the tree goanna, the really large goanna in Australia, the largest one that, that, gro- that grows, that climbs up trees. And um, you've probably seen it if you've seen goannas around the east coast of Australia. It's like black with little yellow dots on it. Um, and it's got really long claws because it's a tree climber. So, when I did my master's degree, I was looking at the entire population or or distribution of this species and trying to work out if there were multiple populations within the species, right? So, where, say, there's a river, there's one population on one side of the river and there's another one on the other side and they don't come into contact or at least not very often. Or maybe there's a mountain range and that's divided up the population. So, I was collecting DNA samples and museum specimen samples and then doing the genetic analysis on those samples to work out how the population across their entire distribution was shaped. So, that's called phylogeography. And then I did some landscape genetics where I was looking on a more micro scale at, say, a specific location, you know, maybe a few hundred square kilometers or even even smaller than that, and how different individuals or the genes of different individuals were moving across the landscape. So, again, are they sort of a different populations or subpopulations in there associated with, say, a certain forest type? Are they um, are there certain groups that move quickly across this landscape but don't move quickly through this one? So, I was using genetics to look at that. Um, and then when I finished my master's degree, the sort of only option there was to do a PhD, right? A doctorate in um, genetics and evolution and uh, phylo- phylogenetics. So, I went on to do my PhD in the phylogenetics of... Australian rodents. So, effectively, I was looking at Australia's largest rodent group. It's called the Sodomies Species Group. And it had a whole bunch of different genera and about 50 to 60 species inside that group. And I was looking at how they were related to one another. So, I was taking their, again, doing the genetic work, taking blood samples and everything, or not blood samples, but tissue samples from specimens uh, in the museum and that were caught wild and then running the genetics in a lab and then working out which species were more closely related to one another and getting a kind of family tree together. And the reason that we were doing this was to learn more about the evolution of the group because in Australia, we've got, I think, 70 or so different rodent species and they live in every single environment, the desert, they live in, you know, estuaries, they live in temperate forest, rainforest, woodlands, grasslands, they're everywhere. But the interesting thing is that a lot of these species that live in these different environments aren't necessarily closely related to other species in those environments, if that makes sense. So, you didn't just have, say, the first rat to come to Australia was adapted to rainforests and then every single other species that today you find in rainforests is closely related to that first, you know, or the to other species in rainforests today. Instead, you find things like there's a desert species and a rainforest species that are really closely related. And you're kind of like, how did that happen? Did they adapt to the desert first and evolve there? And then the species kind of split and a group moved into the rainforest. Did it happen the other way around where there was a group in the rainforest and the desert slowly expanded and a population moved or slowly adapted and and moved into the desert and became its own species. You know, how did these things happen? So, that was what I was sort of concerned with when doing my PhD. It was like, can we get a family tree of all the rodents in Australia? And it wasn't, I wasn't doing it because I was obsessed with rats, 
But rats evolve really quickly. They speciate, they turn into different species very quickly. And so, they're a good system to look at the processes of evolution and work out how they take place. So, yeah, we were looking at that and being like, when did these things move into deserts? Did they do it multiple times? Did they only do it once? Did they start in the deserts and move into the rainforests and the woodlands and the grasslands? Was it the other way around? Um, what about the different sizes? You know, were they small and then they became big? Were they big and then they became small? Uh, were they, you know, adapted to wet environments and then they, you know, had to evolve to be able to handle drier environments, all that sort of stuff. So, I was really interested in that. Finished my PhD and It was during my PhD that I started Aussie English, as you guys will know if you've heard the original episodes all the way back at the start. The very first episode on this podcast is me sitting on a log in Royal Park in Melbourne. So, that's the park near the um, Royal Children's Hospital. There's a huge log sitting on the ground behind the hospital as you um, walk around the track. You can see it probably 20 meters, 30 meters off the track. I was sitting on that log um, recording just to my phone. I think I didn't even have a microphone. I was just speaking into the phone to do the very first episode of the podcast. So, yeah, if you guys are in Melbourne and you go to Royal Park on a regular basis, keep an eye out for that log and you will know that is where I recorded my very first episode. And I I think actually I recorded several episodes um, of different lengths to try and help you guys at the beginning there when I was... um, doing things a little more differently and trying to sort of, you know, do short episodes and longer ones about the same topic. But I did all of those on that log. I'll have to go back sometime and see if it's still there. Um, Okay, next question. I've got a lot here, like no question, just thanks. Um, Or Julia here. Hi, mate. Hope you're well. I've got chicken pox. I'm I'm sorry to hear that, mate. I hope you're doing okay. Because, yeah, it's not good when you're an adult and you get chicken pox. It can turn into, uh, I think it's called shingles. Um, okay, this one comes from Kayo. In your opinion, what is the best way to improve English? Private lessons, studying in schools. Hmm. It, it really depends on you. I know it's kind of like a cliche answer, but I would be thinking personally, like about yourself, and what environment do you learn best in? You know, in which environment do you really thrive? If you're the kind of person who's very social and likes to be in a group of people when learning something, I think then maybe studying at schools or in groups of people online, whatever it is, is potentially a better option for you. Um, If you're someone who's a bit of an introvert and you prefer one-on-one time with a teacher, then that's probably going to be better. I think overall, you should probably have one-on-one time with a teacher. You're never going to You're never going to suffer, right? Your English is only going to really improve with one-on-one time, right? Like, if you had someone that was living with you 24-7, one-on-one teaching you English, your English is going to progress a lot better than if you were going to school and learning in a class where you've got one teacher and, say, 20 students, just based on those numbers, right? If you've got one teacher that's solely focused on you, you're going to learn a lot faster than having a teacher that's focused on 20 different students, But a big part of learning any kind of skill is understanding how you learn, especially when you're an adult because you have access to all these other things, right? The internet and and a lot of the time it's your responsibility. It's all on you to do all the learning. Uh, It's not like um, a kid going to school where you're kind of spoon fed. But yeah, I think you just have to work out how do you best enjoy learning, especially learning a language, you know? and double down on that. So, if you really enjoy, say, fantasy 
novels and TV shows, I would be focusing a lot on that sort of stuff and not wasting my time watching or listening to or consuming content that isn't, you know, that was sports content or that was content about history or something. If that's not what really makes you motivated or passionate or is something that you're inherently interested in. So, I would usually follow the fun, right? For me in Portuguese, for example, at the moment, I finished watching the series House of the Dragon. So, the sort of prequel to the Targaryens in Game of Thrones. And I'm pretty passionate about that story. I find it just inherently interesting. I want to go and read the book. But instead of reading the book in English, which I could do, I would rather learn it or learn it. I'd rather read it in Portuguese and use it as both me being able to learn more about this story and also a chance for me to be able to improve my Portuguese because I know that I'm already inherently interested in this thing that I'm going to use to study Portuguese. So, yeah, I would be thinking I would probably be trying to get private lessons, to be honest, if you can afford it. Otherwise, you don't necessarily need to have a teacher that you're paying. You can find partners, though it does require... uh, quite a bit of effort to find the right kind of partner, right? I would be trying to find just someone who is as equally motivated as you and obviously have sort of stringently set out rules about when you're going to catch up, how much time each of you is going to spend in your respective language, everything like that, and just be doing that on a regular basis. And then I would just be consuming as much content as possible in English that is stuff you would be listening to or consuming in your own language anyway. So, whatever it is, you know, if you want to learn about a new hobby, do it in English. If you want to watch a TV show and you can find an English version, you know, or say you you are really passionate about murder mystery novels or murder mystery films or series, find new ones and watch those in English as opposed to, say, watching them in Spanish or Arabic or Mandarin Chinese, you know. So, it would just be doubling down on that, going hard on that and trying to cover all your bases. Be sure that you're working on listening comprehension Um, working on your writing, your reading and your speaking and then fluency, the thing above sort of those four different categories, reading, writing, listening and speaking is the fluency to be able to understand and produce at a, you know, fluid rate. So, yeah, hopefully that helps. I hope that helps. Here we go. Next question. Um, This one comes from Wingy. Does Australia... Do Australian companies care about which level of honours you get from uni? I think it's going to depend on... It's going to depend on the company and the area that you've been educated in, everything like that. So, I can't really speak for for most places because I only ever sort of did science at university. But I imagine if you're doing, you know, law or if you're an engineer or if you've done, you know, commerce, commerce or economics or whatever at university... Um, Different companies, depending on the job too that you're going for, are going to care, they're going to care more or less about your background at university. But quite often, those companies are going to offer you things like internships. You know, obviously, you have to apply for it and try and get it, but they'll offer internships. And I think usually they're more worried about you if you get the internship doing a good job than say how much education you have after honors or your undergraduate degree or whatever, right? So, I don't think I'd be too worried about, you know, what level of honors you got from university unless you know that a certain company explicitly says you need to have this level, you know, a high distinction in your honors to be able to get the position just because it's so competitive. If they don't say anything about that, 
I would just be applying for these internships or, you know, these jobs at these companies and then just working my ass off initially to show, you know, how dedicated I was to the job and that they would be making a huge mistake to not offer me a, a permanent position, right? So, yeah, just get the job or apply for the job and work your butt off. Do some background research on the company too, you know, that's sort of a tip for doing interviews for jobs. If you're really, really keen to get a certain job from a certain company, do your research about the position, about the kinds of things you're going to be expected to know or expected to do, about what the company does, about what they want you to do at that in that position at that company. Go above and beyond. And then when you show up at the, the interview, display your knowledge already. You know, show, the, show them the fact that you've already done all this work to learn about the company, the job, the career, um, the people that may be working with you, uh, the projects that the company is working on. If you can display that kind of initiative and determination and everything, I think that goes a long way when getting hired for something because the average person is probably going to show up to an interview and be like, I'm, you know, this educated and I have this experience. But if you can separate yourself from the crowd by having the experience and the education, but also showing you've done the research for this particular job and you've done a hell of a lot of research and you know your shit, that is really going to help you go a long way in the eyes of interviewers. I think that's the kind of thing when my parents, they used to work in education and they would be on the hiring panels for a lot of um, different positions at universities like Deakin University and Melbourne University and that sort of stuff. When they were doing that, they were the people they were on the lookout for. People who take who would take the initiative because they knew if they did that for the job interview, imagine what they're going to be like when they actually have the job. Okay. So, I hope that helps. I hope that helps. Um, oh, Wing also asks, please tell me how to pronounce Wing. Aussie people always thought I say Wang. So, W-I-N-G, Wing is how I would pronounce Wing and Wang is how you spelled it here, W-E-N-G. Um, well, it depends on which one of these, which one of these pronunciations is correct for your name, right? You've spelt it as Wing, W-I-N-G, but if they're saying it as Wang, perhaps they're hearing the way that you pronounce your name and they're just repeating it back to you phonetically, like how they hear it. So, obviously, it depends on what the correct pronunciation is for you. you I'd have to hear you say your name and then I would feel more comfortable being like, it's this. <laughs> but if it's Wing, you can always just say, you know, it's Wing, like a bird's wing. All right. Do you say ketchup or tomato sauce? This, this one comes from Matthew. I would say tomato sauce. And if you want to use some slang in Australia, you can call it dead horse and some rhyming slang for you. So, ketchup is American and I think it's slightly different from tomato sauce. I'm not sure if there are extra ingredients or if there's like a high ratio of salt or whatever. It definitely tastes different to me. I don't really mind it. I'd have either. But yeah, anytime someone says ketchup, I'm like, oh, they're American. And as far as I know, I think the word ketchup is actually Cantonese. Let's have a look. Origin. I think it's a Cantonese word. Yeah. Oh, no. It's Hongkien. Forgive me. It's Hongkien. Ketchup comes from the Hongkien Chinese word ketchup, the name of a sauce derived from fermented fish. Wow. It is believed that traders brought fish sauce from Vietnam to southeastern China. The British likely encountered ketchup in Southeast Asia, returned home and tried to replicate the fermented dark sauce. So, there you go. I remember that. I heard about that somewhere, that it was a uh, a um, Chinese word. Well, yeah, I, 
I guess you guys will have to tell me, is Hongkien the same as Cantonese? Because I look down the bottom here. Popular folk etymology is that the word came to English from Cantonese. Oh, okay. Maybe it's, maybe it's bullshit. This is Wikipedia. So, this is a few... Uh, let's have a look. Etymology. Um, uh, there's a few different theories, apparently. So, apparently, there is ketchup or ketchup, uh, literally meaning tomato sauce in Cantonese. Um, but that's a folk etymology, so that might not actually be um, the origin. There's a Malay theory. Ketchup may have entered English from the Malay language. I guess it's like ketchup, sometimes spelt as, yeah, ketchup, ketchup. Soy sauce in Malay, apparently, could have come from European Arabic. Hmm. Wow, okay. Anyway, yeah, I, I don't know <laughs> what the real story is, but I always heard that that um, word originated from Cantonese or Hongkien, and I'm not sure if those two are different languages. So, forgive me for my ignorance there. Um, anyone out there who speaks either or, the, or both of those languages, or they're just one language. All right. This one comes from Matzo. How do you pronounce price, P-R-I-C-E, and prize? P-R-I-Z-E. How about their plurals? Okay, so the only difference here between these two words is that price has that S, unvoiced S consonant sound at the end. Price. And prize has a voiced Z, Z sound at the end. So, price, prize, prize. How about their plurals? Okay, prices. So, you would actually say... Price with the S sound and then Z with the Z sound to pluralize it. Prices and prizes. So, again, it's just the the is at the end is the same for both words. Prices, prizes. Hopefully, that makes sense. But, yeah, it can be difficult. It can be difficult. Uh, next question. Nab a bargain. Is it the same as get a bargain, grab a bargain? Thanks, Pete. No worries, mate. Um, nab a bargain. Yeah, so it'd be the same as in like, get yourself a bargain. You got a good bargain, you nabbed a bargain. To nab something is kind of like a slang term for grab, right? So, you nab something, you you grab something. So, if you nab a bargain, you get a really good deal on something, right? So, the price is is lower than you would expect, you know? It's good value for money, you've nabbed a bargain, to nab a bargain. So, you might go to a bookstore looking for a certain book, you find out it's like 50% off there that day and you're just like, wow, I'm going to nab such a good bargain. I nabbed a great bargain when I got this book for 50% off. Next question, this one comes from, um, I think it's Mano. How do Australians usually pronounce the word world? So, W-O-R-L-D, like we live in a world. Earth is our world. So, we don't pronounce the R sound here because Australian English is non-rhotic, which means we only pronounce the R sound if it's followed by a vowel sound. So, because here the R sound or the R, the letter R in the word world is followed by an L sound, which isn't a vowel, I guess it's a semi-vowel, but it's not a true vowel, right? We don't pronounce it. Instead, it's used to show that the vowel sound is elongated. So, it's world, right? Instead of world, it's world, world, world. It's a difficult word, I think, mainly because of the spelling. That's probably what confuses a lot of people. But effectively, the vowel sound is er, 
and then you have that W at the start, were, were, and then old, world, 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 world. So, yeah, just think were, uh, old, with no R, world, world. Hopefully, that helps. Another good question here. Is chubby offensive? What are some synonyms? Hmm. So, chubby would be like fat, right? Or slightly fat, you know? So, at the moment, I'm a bit chubby because, yeah, I haven't been exercising enough and I've been eating too much. And, uh, yeah, hashtag dad life. So, I am a little bit chubby at the moment. I think it's probably not the word itself that's offensive. It's probably in, say, Western culture that you're commenting on someone's weight. So, usually, if you were to directly talk to someone and I know that it's different in other cultures. Like, I've heard that in Chinese culture, quite often, especially with people you know, you might remark that, oh, you put on weight. Um, whereas, in Western culture, you you would never just bluntly say, you know, you look fat. <laughs> Unless you know the person really well and you know that they're going to be able to handle that kind of criticism or, um, you know, thing that you've noticed really well, I would probably avoid saying that um, because, yeah, you, you might get punched in the face. <laughs> Or at the very least, offend someone. But chubby, again, just the fact that you're noting someone's weight. If you were talking to them one-on-one and you said, oh, you've you gotten a bit chubby, huh? It would be potentially offensive if this person was, um, I don't know, the kind of person to get easily offended. I think if it was a friend of mine who said, Pete, you're looking a little chubby. Because I'm sort of easygoing and jovial and can kind of take a joke. Um, and if the person was saying it in a way that I knew they weren't really like you know, fuck you, you got fat, I hate you, um, I'm not going to get offended. I'm going to be like, yeah, and you too, you know, like I might hit them back with a little comment as well, um, you know, <laughs> I don't know. But but yeah, so, it wouldn't be that bad, but it has the potential to be offensive. Like if I walked up to a stranger and said, oh, you're rather chubby, they're probably going to slap me. So, yeah, it, it is a polite version of fat, but it's it's probably better if you were to use this word when talking about someone in private to someone else, you know. So, I might say to my wife, oh, one of your friends, she looks like she's gotten a little chubby. And I think my wife <laughs> my wife would probably get, def- she'd get defensive, she'd get offended on their behalf. Um, but that would be better than me just saying to that person, you look chubby. Um, they'd, yeah, they'd probably just say, fuck you. <laughs> So, so, yeah, you guys will have to let me know what it's like in your culture. Is is uh, another person's weight something that you can comment on without it being uh, personal or offensive? Because, yeah, it is funny. I know there are plenty of things that you would never talk about in other cultures that Australian culture will talk about and it's kind of not a big deal. You know, it's all arbitrary, really. Um, and, but then there's things like weight um, that you would just really kind of uh, try and avoid. Um, okay... Hmm. I'm a social worker. What do you think? How well is your social support slash child protection system? Man, this is this is definitely out of my kind of realm of, of knowledge. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know what it's like. Firstly, because I'm not an expert in it in Australia, but I also don't know how it compares to other places in the world. You know, you would like to assume that in Australia we have a really good social support slash child protection system. But quite often when watching the news or seeing documentaries come up online, you often hear about the horror stories where the social support and or child protection system hasn't worked 
very well and children have been victimised, you know. The same with, like, domestic violence in Australia, that that's a big deal, it's a big thing, it's something that's more prevalent than you would want it to be, right? Well, you'd want it to be non-existent, really. But, yeah, um, it's hard for me to really answer that. I don't know. I think if you're a social worker, you could probably answer this better than me, to be honest. So, I guess I ask you the same question. What do you think of Australia's social support system and, and child protection system? Hmm. Same person asks two questions here. Do you like New Zealand and what is your favourite region of Australia? I like New Zealand. I, it's it's one of those places that I've been briefly. I've only been to the airport, really. I went to Auckland Airport on the way to, I think it was France. May have been the other way. Yeah, I think it was France that we went through there. So, I, I haven't actually really experienced um, New Zealand, but from everything my dad always says, New Zealand seems to be an absolutely beautiful place, beautiful people, absolutely incredible landscape, um, you know, and the environment's beautiful. So, there's there's nothing for me to really say about it that I don't like because um, I don't really know, know enough about it. I'd love to go there at some point and get to know the place a lot better. And I think I would get along with the average New Zealander and really enjoy the place. I might, I might end up liking it more than Australia, who knows? But um, yeah, there's there's nothing really negative uh, about New Zealand, hmm, that I can think of. So, yeah, I guess I like New Zealand quite a lot. What is your favourite region in Australia? Hmm, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. And I guess it depends what you mean when you say region. Like, do you mean like state or is it like a specific tourist location? Um, I think, you know, if if I woke up tomorrow and God forbid... I had no relatives alive in Australia or who existed in Australia and therefore would not feel bad about being in one place or another, right? So, imagine it was just me and my family and I had no family anywhere else in Australia. Where would I go? Where would I want to live? I'd probably want to live in northern New South Wales or southeastern Queensland along the coast there. I reckon it's absolutely beautiful. The climate seems amazing. Um, I would absolutely love to go there. The only reason that, yeah, we wouldn't move somewhere like there at the moment is that we would be particularly isolated uh, from family and friends and everything that I have down here in Southeast Australia, as does my wife, and it would make life a lot harder, right? Like, those those times that I've had gastro and my wife's been working and I've had to take care of the kids, fortunately, I've had friends and family that I can invite over and ask to help because I don't know how people do it. I, I'm sure a lot of you guys are in that boat where you're in Australia you have no, 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 I was going to say friends. I'm sure you have friends, but I have no family nearby and you have to kind of just suck it up and, and do it all yourself, right? And I imagine that that's incredibly difficult at times. So, yeah. I think I might do one more, guys, and then I might finish up because I'm kind of wrecked and I've got to go pick up my kids from daycare sh- soon. Um, all right. This one comes from Mokhtari who asks... What's your favorite cartoon? My favorite cartoon. Does this count? Would it count to say an adult cartoon? You know what? I reckon it would be Futurama. I absolutely love Futurama. I grew up watching this. I think the first episode came out in 2000. So, I kind of grew up... I would have been in year seven when that came out. And I I absolutely loved Fry and Bender and Leela, um, The Professor... Yeah, they were all amazing characters and I love that it's set in the future and that they have this ability to sort of travel through space, there's aliens, there's all this future technology, but it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, right? It's kind of- a lot of it is really funny and stupid and, and, you know, humorous. So, 
Futurama is something that I always, I loved and I loved and loved and loved when I was younger. And (laughs) I used to actually, when I used to go to sleep, probably about five or more years ago, all the way back to when I was a little kid, I used to always like having something playing so that I could hear something, whether it was a TV show or a, um, it would have been when I was a kid, it would have been a tape or when I got older, it would have been, yeah, something on my computer playing a podcast or a TV show. I used to fall asleep to Futurama um, playing in the background. So, I'd watch an episode or two when I was going to sleep and um, (laughs) I just really loved it. It kind of gave me a warm feeling, you know, of just just comfort, knowing these characters, enjoying it. I, I don't know. I just, yeah, I found it really, really enjoyable. So, yeah, I wonder, do you guys like Futurama? And I've heard that Hulu, I think it's H-U-L-U, Hulu has paid for them to do another 20-something episodes. So, hopefully, that's coming out next year. Um, but yeah, besides that, when I grew- when I was growing up as a little kid, when I was going to primary school, I used to wake up every morning and there was a TV show called Cheese TV. Cheese TV! Um, and they had these two hosts that were probably teenagers themselves at the time, but they seemed like adults to me when I was younger. And they would have cartoons play. And between the cartoons, these hosts would be doing skits and chatting and all sorts of other stuff. And it was just something you you could watch for a few hours in the morning whilst getting ready for school. And they used to play Pokemon. They used to love Pokemon and Dragon Ball Z. But the annoying thing was that with Dragon Ball Z, they used to play an entire season. So, the, the season with Freezer, for example, right? The enemy Freezer. And then the next, before the next season came out, I think after Freezer was at Cell and then Boo was after Cell, they would always start again. So, they'd play the Freezer season and then they would start it from scratch and then go through and then play the Cell season and then start the entire thing from scratch and do Cell, uh, sorry, Freezer, Cell and then Boo. And that that drove me nuts because I always wanted to sort of just go through the entire thing. But I remember they used to do that and I don't know if there was some sort of thing about them getting the rights to it or or if they were really just trying to milk it and <laughs> make sure that they could just play all of it. But I was like, why don't you just play it from the start all the way through and then just restart it again, right? You've already repeated it that many times. But yeah, I used to love Dragon Ball Z, but I tried to watch it recently and I was like, this show is so slow. <laughs> like, so little happens in any episode. You're kind of like, I feel like 90% of this could be chopped up and it could be turned into, you know, a movie or something and you could you could smash it out so much faster. Because, yeah, a lot of these, I don't know if it's just that, that type of anime, there's a lot of internal dialogue all the time where people are reacting to a situation and they're constantly just there like going <sighs> and thinking in their heads. You can hear them, them thinking through, oh my God, he's so strong. You know, I, I can't believe he's above 9,000 or whatever it is. More than 9,000. <laughs> Vegeta. <coughs> Sorry, Vegeta talking about Goku. Anyway, I'm ranting. Um, thanks so much for joining me, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am Pete. This is Aussie English. It's a pleasure chatting to you. And I hope I will get more content out to you soon. So, yeah. Thanks so much, guys. I appreciate your patience. And I'll chat to you soon. See ya. See ya.